Tuning in, this is the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Uh, glad you're listening, and uh, my name is Dave Palmer. I'm the regular host of this program. Every now and then we have a fill-in host, but I do most of them. I enjoy it very much. Cecil Anderson is uh, running the board for us, and it's always a great blessing when we have uh, one of our local priests uh, take the time out of uh, their busy schedules and visit the studio, especially when it's a first-time visit like this. This one and uh, talk about their life and their vocation and how God called them to seminary and priesthood and also you know every priest has a unique calling and they have certain ministries and uh, things that they they you know, the, the way they work through their min- their ministries of priest and uh, today I'm delighted to have in studio with me Father Ignacio Overa and he's currently is serving as the Procurio Vicar of St Patrick's Catholic Church in Dallas and I don't mm-hmm. think I told Father I, that's where I went to school nice. and I grew up in that parish and so anyways i'm telling you that for the first time Uh, father is also the founder and executive director of faith fitness ministry which can be found on facebook and instagram just do a search for faith fitness ministry there also is a website uh, faith fitness uh, dallas.wordpress.com okay we'll we'll repeat that a few times but uh, father thanks for being here good to see you Thank you, Dave. I am happy to be here with you. Yeah, we've had a few. We've had your voice on the air before, but it's always uh-huh. been over the phone. And so this is the first time you've come here, and I gave him the little nickel tour. And yes. uh, so so good to have you here, especially Thank under you. the circumstances that we're dealing with uh, these days with all that's going on. Uh, yes. So let me start off uh, talking about yourself. You're a young priest. Uh-huh. Uh, you told me you were ordained uh, May of 2016. So that's you've been correct. a priest for about four years. Yes. Uh, from Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, tell me about your, your life as a young person growing up in Mexico, your family. Uh, tell us about yourself. Okay, very good. So I was born and raised in Jalisco, Mexico. And around the age of uh, nine years old, I first felt the call of God calling me to be a priest. And I didn't know what to do about it. I, I just had this thought in a, in a question in my head. What about if you become a priest? That was the question that got put on my, on my thoughts. And first of all, I was like, what is a priest? I didn't even know what a priest was. What Were you from a like, faithful family, going to Mass every yes. week? And, oh, yes. Okay, so, yes, my family, oh, okay. my mom would bring me to church on, on Sundays, and we would you know, just hear the Word of God, the Mass, everything. But I was like, what is a priest? Right? I knew what a priest was, but, yeah. but the thing like, you know, how are they formed? Where do they come from? I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I didn't know any information, details whatsoever, except that he would show up yeah. at the church or at this place to have this service. That's what I knew. And so the more I started learning about what a priest was, the more I, I felt attracted to, to the idea of like pursuing, maybe this is for me. Maybe I can do this for, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But it was a transition. So um, I, since I wanted to learn more, I, I became an altar server. And so I had this, you know, close relationship with with the priests and sacristans and other altar servers. So I, I was like, yeah, it feels, it feels good to do this. I, I think, you know, it can suit me well. Yeah. So that was my starting on my, my vocation. And then when I was in junior high, that's when I gave it more thought about it. Because I'm like, you know, everybody's kind of thinking about what do they want to do in life. And um, and I haven't told anybody at that point mm-hmm. that I had this uh, this uh, calling from the early age, and so it was the first time I went to talk to my pastor and to my parents, and I said, "Hey, 
um, I would like to become a priest. <laughs> and, and you're uh, like, what, 12, 13 now? I was like high? 14 yeah. years old. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so they were shocked because, I mean, my parents, they never thought about it. <laughs> they tried to talk me away from it. Oh, did they? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. wow. Yes, I because they wanted you to get married. Exactly. They get want married, grandkids and all that. Have grandkids <laughs> and have a family just yeah. like the rest of my brothers. So I am the youngest of eight. I have five brothers. I have two sisters. And they just wanted me to, like, you know, follow their, their footsteps. Yeah, they're and they're probably going to get grandkids otherwise. Oh, right? they had so many. They had, they had so many grandkids. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so finally, you know, they, they settled with the idea. Uh, they supported me. And, uh, and I went to high school seminary. When, I mean, I, was, I just turned 15 years old when I joined the high school seminary in Mexico. And, um, and then um, after that, my, my parents, because most of my siblings were already here in Dallas, uh, they came over. And so I, I just finished high school seminary and I also followed and I came to the States and I continued my seminary studies college in Conception Seminary College in Missouri which is run by the Benedictine monks. Okay, okay. Yes. And you were actually studying to be a, a priest in the, the Wichita uh, Kansas Diocese at exactly. the time, right? Yes, okay. that's, what I, that's, what, that's the diocese that I arrived when I came to the States uh, because I have also a, a cousin who is a, who is a priest for the Diocese of Wichita. So mm. that was uh, the connection there. And then at, at the end of my junior year in college, I decided to move to Dallas because this is where all my family is. Yeah. And, uh, and also because a drastic event affected this decision, my dad passed away that year. Mm. So, um, so I was like, I got to get close to family because yeah. I, I am missing so much from them. So I joined the Dice of Dallas um, that year, at the end of that year. And, um, and then I, I continued studying for the Dice of Dallas in Missouri. And then I was sent for theology seminary in Houston, Texas. Okay, yes. and then got ordained four years ago. And what have been your assignments so far? You're, have you been at St. Patrick's the whole time or, no. or where else? No, my first assignment was at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church um, okay. in Dallas, in Lakewood neighborhood. Yeah. And then two years ago, I was assigned to St. Patrick Church. Okay, and those mm-hmm. are pretty close to each other. And yes, so only they, three they, miles apart, yeah. only three miles. <laughs> I, and I like it because I can go to White Rock Lake. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Bishop Burns is listening, so he exactly. won't send you too far away yeah. from White Rock Lake, right? Exactly, uh, yes, it went around the lake. Yeah. This morning I was I was running three miles. <laughs> yeah, it's a good place and to as be. I told you, three miles more than I ran this morning. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell us about the the inspiration to, you know, you're, you're a busy priest, I know mm-hmm. life is busy, a lot of demands, and uh, you know people, you know, uh, have mm-hmm. a lot that they they ask of their priests. But then you decide to start up this uh, this side ministry in a sense, yes. faith fitness ministry. Tell, what, what what inspired you to do that? Well, it's a, it's a very long story that inspired me, but there was a lot of pieces together. So I was doing catechesis at St. Thomas, and then I was doing uh, also catechesis uh, lectures at St. Patrick for the people of the parish, right? And then, but what it was a turning point was this occasion when I was like super stressed. Uh, one of the days was very tough for me at St. Thomas, like, you know, going to the hospital many times, uh, having an appointment. So I was very, very tired by the end of the day that I decided to go to a bar to uptown in, yeah. in Dallas. And as I was at the bar, it was like a Wednesday, it was in the middle of the week. So it was pretty much there, right? But I, but I just, you know, wanted to have a drink. And as I was, you know, drinking my, my beer at the bar, there is this young bartender. Yeah. 
And some, somehow, I don't know how the conversation started, but we started talking about religion. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, what religion are you? And I say, <laughs> I am Catholic. Again, I, I was not going to preach. I wasn't, I wasn't even wearing my clerics. He didn't know you were a priest. Okay. He yeah. didn't know I was a priest. I was yeah. not wearing my clerics. I didn't want to know that much about ministry. I just wanted to relax and have a drink. Yeah. So he asked me, uh, what religion are you? And I said, I am, a, I am Catholic. And I said, what about you? And he said, I used to be Catholic. So that opened up for a whole conversation because I asked, what happened? And so he told me he was like maybe 23 years old, 24 years old. Mm -hmm. And he was working at this bar. And, and he told me that he went to all his life to Catholic schools. He went to Catholic high school in, uh, I think it's called Sobiaco in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so... And then he said, after I went to college, when I went to college, I had some questions from my professors that I couldn't answer about my faith. Mm. So I doubted. And yeah. I said, this is not the right faith for me. Right. And so he left the Catholic Church and he was not practicing at the moment that I met with him, that I met him. So, so I said, what questions were those? So he yeah. shared with me the questions and I answered them because, I mean, I, I think seminary did something yeah, good for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you got a little bit of formation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it taught me the, the scripture and the religion and, yeah. and all those things that I could, I could give him a, you know, a very good answer, in my opinion. And so he was very satisfied by my answers that he said, wow, like everything that you just said, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I just never knew. Yeah. And I never thought that those could be, you know the answers that I could have given to my professors that I could give to myself. And I'm like, well, um, I am happy that you, you got your answers. And then he said, well, what church do you go? And I go, <laughs> and I say, I got St. Thomas Aquinas and you will find me there every weekend. There are so many young adults that go to this church. So you can come and join us. Right. Cause I'm a young adult. I am just, I mean, at that time I was like maybe 29, 30 years old. Now mm -hmm. I am 32. So, Anyway, so this was a turning point, this experience, because I'm like, how many young adults in the Diocese of Dallas are like him, that they grew up in a Catholic household, they went through Catholic education, Catholic schools, and then something happens in college or in their lives that they depart from the faith, that they depart from their uh, Catholic roots. And what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. We as priests, as ministers, yeah. as laity, what can we do? And at that moment, I told, I told myself, I said, Ignacio, you got to do something. Yeah, yeah. And guess what I did? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this young adults lecture, catechesis for all young adults in the Metroplex. Mm -hmm. Dallas, Fort Worth, any of the other uh, surrounding cities or counties. And I will just reach out to the nuns. Reach out to those young adults that are falling away from the Catholic Church or are not practicing their faith or also those that want to be engaged in their faith and there is nothing there for mm -hmm. them. So I want to give them that. I want to give them spiritual talks once a month and we're going to meet knowing a church because maybe they have an issue with the church, an issue with authority. So we're going to meet where they are. Yeah, yeah. And where, where are they? They are at bars. They are at the breweries. So I chose to meet at breweries. And here in Dallas, we had like 15 different breweries in the Metroplex. Mm -hmm. 
and like maybe seventy percent owned by Catholic yeah. uh, owners, like microbreweries, and uh, yes, it's interesting. You know, I, I don't think I've shared this with you. Also, is that that's what brought me back to the Catholic Church was mm-hmm. somebody inviting me out for a drink because I wasn't ready for the adoration uh-huh. and all the quote holy stuff. Yeah. I, I needed, you know, I, I just wanted to go have a drink. Yeah, something very <laughs> and, human. And, and that that person on the way there was talking about the saints, and mm-hmm. uh, like you said, the eyes open. I'm like, wow, you mean you can do both? You can yeah. actually have fun and exactly. learn. Exactly. faith and it's it was it was it was eye-opening for me yes yes uh so so you having these monthly events mm-hmm. and you have them at breweries uh, yes. around town now what what about the the fitness aspect or how does that tie in yeah so in a, in this ministry you know we we care for the souls that's our slogan for the soul purpose our mission is for the soul purpose we want to save Souls for Christ, right? S O U L purpose, is yes, that right? Okay. Yes, for the soul <laughs> purpose. All right. So, so also we we have the fitness part yeah. because we want to see the whole person, yeah. not just the spiritual, but also the physical, because we are body and spirit. So we do the fitness part by doing sports tournaments, by doing actual activities that can bring the community together. And we build up the community. And I tell you that this aspect is very important because of our wellness, yes, but also because of the community part. There are so many young adults in Dallas that many times they don't have family or friends. They come Mm -hmm. from other states, perhaps other nations, but they come from everywhere. And if we provide that community through sports, through the breweries, through these events, then they come together, they connect, they meet with other great young adults and become friends. And I have seen it. Mm-hmm. I have seen it at every event. I have seen this connection. I have seen this network and I have seen these uh, friendships uh, happening from these meetings, happening from this event. And this is what they do. I don't know if I can say the names of apps, but there is an app that they are using. It's called GroupMe. And in this app, every time we go to an event, there are other young adults there and they use this app to connect. So these are like more than 200 young adults in this group me. Mm-hmm. And so they, they post like, I'm going to confession to St. Patrick this weekend. Mm-hmm. Who wants to join me? And, and then they, they reply. Yeah. Or I am going to church to, to this place this weekend. Who wants to also come over? Or we are going to have a, a pool party at my apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And so this is how we are bringing the community. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I do, I offer the place. I offer the formation. I offer, you know, the setup. But also it has so much goodness. There is an organic uh, environment or an organic fellowship that continues after our event that they go back to their church. They invite other people that they haven't been in church uh, in many years or many months. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what form us as people are friends. Yeah. People influence us in who we are. And I think that aspect of the fitness, the sports, the community is very important uh, in this ministry. Yeah. The, the, 
it, it sounds like you know there, there's a great hunger, there's a great need, mm-hmm. and like your the, the 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 young man that you met at the the bar there it just wasn't being met, and mm-hmm. somebody has to meet them where they are, and how yes. how cool the the tournaments. Uh, yes. I, I don't know if you're still able to do these because of all the COVID stuff, or are are, are there going to be any more? I mean. These can be ongoing. The, yes. the, the events are monthly at the bars. Yes. How often are you doing the tournaments? The tournaments we do it one uh, twice a year. Okay. We do one in the spring and one in the fall when we get nice weather in Dallas, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just happened to have the spring one like maybe two months ago or like a month ago. I don't remember very well. Um, and we we did a virtual sports activity and the virtual sport activity that we could do because we couldn't you know play volleyball or yeah or uh, you know soccer together we did a five virtual 5k virtual okay and uh, so what happens is that people run in their treadmill they they run in the park they run perhaps in their home and they just had to time it to take a picture with the t-shirt that we gave them from faith fitness logo and the pine and a book and a guzzi so we give them a whole package for registration, like like whenever somebody runs a marathon. So so yes, we have kept going with the activities, with the sports activities, despite the circumstances. We mm-hmm. have become creative. Yeah, I have a core team. I have like six, seven people that help me come together. We you know we brainstorm and we are like we are all young adults. Mm-hmm. How can we enhance our lives despite? or whatever situation or circumstance we are living. Yeah. Because, I mean, we are living tough times. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that our evangelization and our mission has to stop because of that's going on. We are learning a new normal. And as we are learning this new normal, as we are making this transition, we also had to adapt. And that's what we are trying to do. But we are not stopping. Mm-hmm. We are going to provide it virtually. We are going to provide it in person, even though, even, even if we have... Small groups, even if we have to wear masks, even if we have to, you know, the, do the social distances six feet apart. If we have to follow all of those things, we are going to do it. But we don't want to stop this. We want to continue because this is the time when we need God the most. Yeah. Uh, uh, how are you getting the word out? Obviously, you're on the, doing a radio interview. We've been promoting it on the radio. How mm-hmm. else are you able to, you know, let people know about this? Mm-hmm. And are you, have you been happy with the response so far? Uh, usually, we started by word of mouth. Yeah, we started by word of mouth, and we started with like 35 people at the first event, and then we we started up. We open up a Facebook account, Instagram account. And then the website. So those have been the only means and resources that we have been using to spread the word. And um, right now we have like around 500 uh, followers on on Facebook. So we are growing little by little. Yeah. Another way that I do promotion, of course, you know, the radio, thankfully to you, Dave. Um, but also I try to go to parishes. If a pastor, you know, invites me or or I offer, you know, to help whenever they go on vacation. I go to their place, to their parish, celebrate the Mass, and I say, hey, I am Father Ignacio, and I have this ministry for young adults in the Metroplex. And that's how I advertise it. Yeah. Also, uh, luckily, uh, I mean, even though we are going through tough times, but luckily we have the TV uh, Mass on Sundays. You know, Bishop Burns offered that in English and in Spanish. Uh, so he invited me to do one of those Masses back in May. And so half of my homily, I tied it up with Faith Fitness Ministry, the mission that we are doing. And guess what? Hmm. 
Now, every appointment that I have, most of my appointments that I have right now, every week, are for those people that watch that much. All right. Was that Spanish? Yes, it oh, was okay. in Spanish. So you, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Father. Yeah, are you doing Spanish events also, or are they in English? They're the ones at the bars. They are in English. Okay. Right now, they are, that's the common language that, yeah. that we have, English. Yeah. But all these families that watch in Spanish, all the young adults that watch the mass in Spanish, they speak English yeah. or they are yeah. bilingual. Right, right. So they learn about it. And now they are calling me. They are... They're asking me, you know, for for help or for advice or for some uh, spiritual guidance. And uh, like yesterday, I had a phone call from uh, a parishioner in Fort Worth. And that's a long way from St. Patrick, right? But, yeah. but you know, they make a phone appointment and that's how we met. Yeah. I mean, on the, through the yeah, phone. Right, right. So, well, that's good. It's, it's building and yes. people are hearing about yes. it. Uh, Father, we're down to our last few minutes here. Uh, this is the interview of the week. Father Ignacio Alvera, who serves as Procure Vicar at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Dallas, also the founder, executive director of Faith Fitness, Fitness Ministry. And I want to, I haven't mentioned uh, Chuck Cobdish yet. Uh, I want to thank him because he's the one even though you and I knew each other, he, he is one that you know, kind of connected us for an interview. Yes. So I want to mention the, the Sierra Clubs yes. of Dallas that Chuck's involved in. And I know we talked about your vocation story. And I just want to kind of close out talking about vocations. Mm-hmm. And perhaps there's a, a young man listening or a young woman interested in religious life. Uh, let's talk particularly about the priesthood. What do you love about being a priest? And what would you say to a young man whether he's nine like you were mm-hmm. uh, at the time you first got the call, or maybe he's he's thirty or twenty five or, or eighteen, what, what 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 advice would you give him? Yes. Okay. So what I what I enjoy the most, and there are two things that I enjoy the most. One of the things that I enjoy the most is uh, the celebration of the sacrament of the mass, the Eucharist. That's one of the things that I love the most, and I think that that's why I am a priest because mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with the Eucharist. And then the the other aspect that I that I also love and I, I enjoy is being with the people of God, being a pastor, being a shepherd, being with them, being part of their lives. I think that's what makes my ministry so joyful and that's what makes my ministry so worth it. Like I will tell you at St. Thomas, I spend every week on a Friday night visiting families and having dinner with them. Mm-hmm. And at St. Patrick, you know, with the Young Adults Ministry, I, I mean, whenever I have an event with the Faith Fitness Ministry, I'm like, I feel alive. Mm-hmm. I feel so much, so much passion for it that I am like, this is me. Yeah. This is yeah. who I am. And I feel so happy to be able to do that, to be able to, to feel alive and also to know and to see that others can feel that can feel happy, can feel joyful, can have some peace and harmony in their lives. I think that's the, those are my joys as a priest. So I will, I will just recommend to any young man who is listening to us is, first of all, look at your heart and pay attention what the Lord is calling you. And if he's calling you to, the, to this, don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid and jump to it. He will help you. God will help you. And then he will provide whatever skills or abilities we lack. He will help us and, you know, you will be happy. Yeah. You yeah. will be happy because you are following your call. And I think that's how I feel. I yeah. feel happy because this is what God is asking me and I am just doing, answering this call. I mean, I never, in seminary, <laughs> I never planned to have a young adult like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many things that I have done or I am doing 
I never even think about it. Yeah. These things yeah. I believe come by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and uh, God is providing. We have yeah. donors. We have the people that are coming to the events. We have an average in our events of 80, 90 people every event. So we are growing. And despite the circumstances, you know, we may not have many numbers at this point. But, you know, we pray that we can continue reaching out people more and more so so we can provide them with spiritual yeah. uh, nourishment. Imagine when all this blows over and people are meeting again. Boy, people are just going to be so hungry to mm-hmm. get out there and shake hands and be together. Yes. And uh, yes. that, that day will come. This too shall pass. Father, we're out of time. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Father Ignacio. Overa, uh, named after Ignatius of uh, Loyola. Loyola. Okay, yes, I figured that's that's probably, probably the case. Uh, <laughs> the Jesuits are like, gosh, we almost ha- we should have had him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, founder, executive director, of Faith Fitness Ministry, also Procure Vicar at St. Patrick's Catholic Church. I promised I'd give you that uh, website again, Faith Fitness dallas.wordpress.com you can also find uh, faith fitness ministry on facebook and also instagram as well and mm-hmm. uh, uh, father thanks so much for being here thank you uh, Dave. Really appreciate, I appreciate it. learning more about your story thanks also to Cecil anderson a young person she kind of fits into that young category i i used to i used to be young at one point but uh, <laughs> not so much anymore and uh, thanks for listening everybody if you have any suggestions for uh, future interviews for the interview of the week please email me i love to hear what's going on and meet interesting people and talk about how we're building up the body of christ together each following our own inspiration dave palmer at grnonline.com is my email address dave palmer at grnonline.com thank you for listening this has been the kth 9 10 a.m interview of the week with father ignacio overa Hi, this is Dave Palmer. I'm happy to invite you to join me on Tuesday, September 1st for the 23rd annual Noche de Gracias virtual celebration and fundraiser for Casada High School in Fort Worth. I'll be the MC of the virtual event that night, and I hope you'll join us to learn about the mission of this beautiful school that blesses many students and families. To learn more about Casada High School, visit casadahs.org, and for the event, click on the Make a Difference tab, and then click on Noche de Gracias. Are you looking for a place to donate your gently used clothing to but are unable to drop them off at one of our locations? Worry not. The St. Vincent de Paul Thrift Store can help. We have over 40 donation bins available throughout the DFW Metroplex. Find one near you today by visiting our website and for a complete list of acceptable items at svdpdallas.org slash shop. That's svdpdallas.org slash shop. And remember, whether you are shopping or donating, you are giving at the St. Vincent de Paul Thrift Stores. Thank you for being a part of the Guadalupe Radio Network family. I'm Joe McLean. I'm sitting in for Dave Palmer right now for uh, a special interview. I'm very excited about this. This is an interview of the week, but we're going to double dip a little bit, and I'm going to take the opportunity, because Dave Palmer extended it to me, to uh, record this interview. And I want to share it on my show, GRN Alive Monday edition, uh, because it's a topic that I, I am passionate about, and one that I have been confused, ignorant, uneducated, and wanted 
more information. I think today is going to give us that opportunity. And the topic is about Nigeria and the persecution of Christians in Nigeria and how their lives matter too. And how we in the West can be educated and informed about the real issues over there and uh, maybe even get some tips on what we can do about that. Uh, I have found in my own experience that uh, the information that comes from Nigeria is sometimes uh, not the full picture. It's sometimes a little older, outdated, and finding information in sources that could give us the actual boots on the ground facts and figures of what is going on, why is it going on, and what we should do, I have found it frustrating at best. And today we have some very special guests to talk to in this interview. They've been on uh, Dave Palmer's Journal Live Friday before, uh, but he, again, he gave me this opportunity to sit in his seat and uh, and have this conversation myself, and I, I couldn't say no to that. Uh, so I want to welcome uh, Tina Maudu Odidika, and forgive me, uh, and Charles Awuzia from Nigeria, who live here in the North Texas area. Uh, well, thanks for being on with us again. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I just apologize for getting your names wrong. It's just, it is okay. It's a very difficult thing for me, but uh, I am very glad you're here, and I'm, I thank you for for your willingness to speak out about the persecution of your people in Nigeria and uh, for helping to educate us and bring some awareness to this issue. Uh, so let's start with, can we get a brief history of Nigeria? Because uh, this is one of the areas I think a lot of us in the West really have no idea. Like, what is, why is there people dying in Nigeria? I think we think in simple terms of Christian versus Muslim, but it's actually way more complicated than that. And maybe you can give us a brief history of war, of your people and why there is a kind of several layers to this complicated onion. Charles? Yes. Um, let me start by saying that, uh, in 1914, uh, the Northern and Southern Protectorates of what later became Nigeria were merged, amalgamated. Mm. And in 1960, Nigeria, as a creation of the, the British, became independent. Mm. And Nigeria is broadly made of three major um, tribes. We have the Hausa in the north, but we talk about Hausa Fulani. Then we have the the Yoruba, the Odudua in the West, mm. and we have the uh, predominantly Igbo in the, in the East. Mm. So that is Nigeria setting for you. And when did Christianity come to Nigeria? Christianity in Nigeria uh, came about at different points because yeah. it, it came through, um, first of all, it came from the south, mm. uh, um, which is the eastern part, and from the west, at different points by different missionaries. We have the we have the CMS in the west, mm. and then we have the Catholic uh, coming to the eastern eastern region of uh, Nigeria. Then, still on religion, we have the Muslim mm. having influence and foothold in the north part, yeah. of, part of Nigeria. You know, uh, I think of I'm thinking of Saint Augustine, who was from Northern Africa, yes. and uh, and how 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 Christian Northern Africa was in his day in his age, and then uh, and once uh, Muhammad and Islam began the rise and the push by sword, uh, we saw that Christianity was being taken away from Africa, 
And uh, so how much of that is at play here in Nigeria? So we have these various tribes, and then out of those tribes, which ones are Christians and which ones aren't, and what are they? I can probably speak to this. I can tell you that when the British or the Portuguese who first came and brought uh, some part of the European influence into the South, because they sailed through the Atlantic Ocean, mm. and we happen to be at the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. The northern part of Nigeria is cl- closer to Morocco and the Sahel, mm. the Sahara Desert. So when they first came, they, their influence first got to us first, and then to the western part of Nigeria, the coastal region of Nigeria, before it reached the, the north. And what you said exactly happened. The Christianity that was blooming mm. in Morocco and those places was not being pushed yeah. out by the influence of the Muslims. But when they came, and through the same route, the British and the Irish came. The mm. Irish people are, are really the people who brought Christianity and Catholicism to Biafra, to what we call Biafra, the Igbo land, the coastal regions of the eastern part of Nigeria. And so those people took it and really embraced Christianity because I remember my father talking about how his father and his uh, aunts and family were schooled, uh, being indoctrinated in the Christianity, in the Christian doctrine mm. and how he then came up and took it himself and was married, was baptized in the Catholic Church, was married in the Catholic Church, and was schooled in the Catholic Church so that he became one of the elders in the Catholic Church who actually taught the Catholic doctrines to others in my village and in my town and became one of the cornerstones of Catholicism in my town with many others. So that's how Christianity started. And when he took a foothold in that, area of the country is spread like wildfire. So the Englishmen who came later on knew that these people were already Christians. Mm. And the, but instead of aligning themselves with the Christian South, the Christian people that they found, they aligned themselves with the house of the Fulani people. Actually, those were the, they were the, the, uh, the aliens, they came from somewhere else. Oh, really? Yes. So they, they weren't came, native to they, the region. And the Fulani people are not native to Nigeria, space. Oh, is that At right? that point, yeah. no. But they aligned themselves with them because they found them a willing tool for what they were seeking. What the Englishmen were seeking was the resources yeah. of the land. And what, what century was this when this was happening? When this, they first was, got there? this was in the 18th century at first and then in the early 19th century. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When wow. where all this was taking place. But as time went on, they found that the Fulanese who were less educated now mm. and not Christianized in any way were more uh, willing and could be uh, persuaded to do whatever they wanted as long as wow. they kind of promoted them and said, oh, you're in charge of this and you're in charge of that. So they used them mm. to actually oppress the other people, even the Christians who they should have aligned themselves with. 
And that's the history of Nigeria. So there's like there's like three or four layers there. Oh my god. There's goodness. the tribal layer. Yes. There's the political layer. Yes. Then there's the religious layer. Yes. Uh, and I guess you could add another layer that would be just just regular old good old fashioned greed. Greed you layer. Know? <laughs> yes. And that power is and the, control. Yes. yes. And and in addition to that, when the Fulanese, because they came from where is called the Futajelon, mm. when they appeared in Futa, when they appeared from Futajelon, the Hausa community, which was predominantly in the north, mm. were an existing indigenous population. Mm. So they came in with their own system and tried and subverted the entire Hausa culture mm-hmm. and dominated them wow. and assimilated their language to the extent that because the Fulani language is Fufude, it's not Hausa, mm-hmm. but they assimilated the Hausa and the general language in the north becomes Hausa language. Oh, wow. Yes. So from that point and from historical evidences, from what their founding father said, that they were going to dip the Quran at the sea, you, that Nigeria is their own estate, and that the Middle Belt are going to be their, their conquered estate. Wow. And that... From that point, that is the script that is still unfolding up to today. And what does Nigeria have that they wanted so badly? Be, before this time, mm-hmm. there were, we had uh, the so-called granite pyramids in the mm-hmm. north. Then in the east, eastern region, which is Biafra land, we have palm produce. Yes. We have every manner of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, tubers, palm produce, but palm produce was going into, into it was a major cash crop. Mm. Then we also had rubber in some places. Sure. Then in the West, they had cocoa mm-hmm. that was a major cash crop. Wow. But yes. while all this were going on, mm-hmm. exploration was also going on secretly. So when they discovered oil in the end of it. <laughs> we got to have the whole thing now. It's the land of milk and honey, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. what we call it. Yeah, we call, call our, yes, Biafra land is the land of milk and honey. Wow. And it's the land of the rising sun. We're talking with uh, Tina Madu Odidika and Charles Awuza. We're talking about Nigeria. And uh, we've gotten a little bit of brief history on uh, the uh, Nigerian people in the country and the difficulty, some of the challenges. And, you know, there's a, a, a real persecution. Christians are dying there, shedding their blood. I mean, uh, just recently, we had a very kind of crazy weekend here in America. We had church, we had a, someone ram a van into a church in Florida, pour two <laughs> gallons of gasoline and light it on fire. We had another church burnt in, Cali- in California. We've had statues desecrated. But you know what? In uh, Nigeria, that would be called an easy day. That would be called an easy day because in Nigeria, it's blood that's being shed. It's not just churches burnt or bombed. It's people actually shedding their blood for the Lord Jesus Christ and suffering in a big way. And again, I found it very difficult to find good sources to tell us about what's going on there. And that's the conversation we're having right now about our Christian brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Real quick, before we dive into the actual persecution-like part of it, um, can you just, again, give us – I don't understand tribalism. 
Westerners, specifically people who have dis, uh, who have come from uh, European lines, like myself. I came from uh, Scottish, Scottish and English lines. Uh, we came over in the 18th century to America, and we have a clan, tribal black background, but we're we're hundreds of years removed from it. Uh, so we have no concept of what it means to be a part of a tribe. Can you, in a few minutes, help me to understand what it means to be a part of a tribe? I guess I should start by saying that our forefathers traveled and migrated from the land of Israel itself. I know someone in your audience has heard that um, there are Jews, black Jews in Africa. Ethiopia, for sure. Ethiopia. We migrated through Ethiopia Ethiopia, and went all the way to where we reside today in the Bight of Biafra, which is on the coastal region of Atlantic Ocean. Amazing. Okay. So we believe that we're Jews. That's number one. And because we knew Elohim from the get-go, mm-hmm. that's why when the Christians came to our land and preached the same God, we were able to recognize it and we bought it. Mm. And we took it over and that's how it flourished. Wow. Where we you are. saw the promise being fulfilled. Exactly. Wow. That's why our people became Christians. That's amazing. It's not because we didn't have any faith or we were worshiping um, idols no, my people never worshipped idols. It might seem to an untrained eyes like we were worshipping idols, but we have always had what we call the Chukuo Kikabiyama. Chukuo Kikabiyama means the only God who created. Mm. And when you get close to him, you know him. That's amazing. That's all it means. Yeah. And when we say it in our language, which is Igbo language, you wouldn't understand, of course. Mm. But now that everyone has been trained in the English language, at least in America, when you translate or transliterate Chukwokikabiyama, it means God, who is able to create, and when you get close to him, you know him. So Mm. come and know him. That's what the God we worshipped even then. So uh, to come back to your question Mm. about, you know, what does it feel to be in a tribe? It is a family. The family grows and it keeps growing. And we grew from that coming from, there were two sets of us who came through uh, Ethiopia to Biafra. Mm. And then there's another group who came through uh, the Western side, probably through Morocco and Senegal and came down through, um, what's that, Chad and came into Biafra and mm. traveled all the way to where we are. Okay. So th- those two groups merged. And they became, they knew each other just because they, they came from the same area. Yeah. And so we formed that tribe. And our tribe's name is Igbo. But Igbo people then started dividing and multiplying mm. and took over all of that eastern region of the so- southern part of Nigeria. So we are many in number today. I think the last thing that we looked at, me and him, we were looking at it, we were like, we might be more than more than seventy percent of that country. Really, right now. Well, okay, so, so that, that that brings up a question in my mind. Christian, I'll have to come back on that question. Yeah, right. And we go everywhere, and there is yeah. no place in the world where you will go and not find a Biafran. 
No well, place. Well, that's certainly true no for place. all the markets of the Guadalupe Radio Network. We have large communities of Nigerian peoples. Uh, is, you know, I'm, I live in Houston, and it's the most diverse city in America demographically, and we have a huge community of uh, Nigerians there, as well as other communities from other parts of Africa as well. So uh, that's very true. I mean, uh, it's been an amazing experience to, to experience Christianity from their perspective. We travel far and wide, and everywhere we settle, mm. we work hard. We're hard workers. And this is one of the things that people in that Nigerian space are very jealous of. They're jealous of the fact that we are hard workers. Yeah. Okay, there was a genocidal war between 1967 and 1970. So we have about seven minutes left in our conversation. Yes. And this is the main meat. Okay. okay. So we finally come to the main course. Um I don't think anybody knows that. Okay, I'm sure some people know that. I did not know this. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like me. They're like, wait, we think of genocidal war. We might think of Rwanda. Maybe some people think of Darfur. But uh, nobody that I know is thinking Nigeria genocidal war. Give us the history. You got about six or seven minutes. Okay, I will be brief. And I know my brother wants to say something about that. Okay, so there was... um the people, we didn't agree with the people. The way, the way the country was being manipulated, and we knew, by the people who formed it. The people who created Nigeria was the Englishmen, mm. and by name, Lord, Lord Lugard. Lord Lugard came into this space called Nigeria and kind of had um, an amalgamation of different nations mm. because there are three main nations in Nigeria. There is the Igbo nation, there is the Dudua nation, and there is the Arewa nation. Marched these three nations together, and I'm not sure that he understood how the tribes worked, just like you said, mm-hmm. put them together, and they never agreed on which wow. way, what direction to make things move. <laughs> that doesn't go well. And at some point, <laughs> they said, okay, let's come together and really agree that we can rule our separate areas and nations, but come back to the middle and kind of have some things in common and still continue to be Nigeria. It's like a micro United States in that regard. That's what they wanted to form. Yeah. They went to uh, Buri in Ghana and had this accord, this agreement made. Mm-hmm. Everyone agreed and they came back. When they came back, the people who were ruling the north, the Ariwa nation, mm-hmm. was, was sub- kind of told not by Britain not to let the Biafrans go because at that point... The resources of Biafra has now exploded the oil and the gas. So they wanted that. That's what they wanted. Go ahead. And and, and yes, um, uh, talking about the genocide Mm -hmm. in Biafra land, there was immediately after independence, Mm -hmm. close to five years after independence, the military struck they overthrew the civilian administration that came into effect in mm. Nigeria because of deep-seated corruption and because of a statement made by a Fulani leader mm-hmm. called uh, uh, Sadwana of Sokoto. Mm. And the statement was so tribalistic, just like the question you asked about tribe. Mm-hmm. I would trace tribalism as is bad as it is to that statement. Mm. He situated people in their different categories. So when the military struck, mm-hmm. he was killed in the in the in the in the in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the exercise. And now 
they covered up the true story. They saw the military coup as Igbo engineered coup wow. when it was not. And it took for 50 years after for Nigerians to begin to understand that the Igbo never planned the coup. But mm. a genocide was launched. People were killed in thousands and in wow. millions. So um, it, runs, it runs that deep. That is the, 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 the basis. And that genocide has not abated as, as we speak today. On daily basis, people are being killed. Killed in their farms, yeah. killed in their homes. Young men are being killed and their organs harvested. And wow. uh, we, we, it, it's, it's so heartbreaking. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the organ harvesting. That is actually one of the, the, the key um, uh, money, money income trades for uh, Al-Qaeda and for Taliban and for the, uh, the, the Islamic State in, uh, in Iraq, as well as the uh, CCP government. The communist Chinese government in uh, for the Uyghurs in uh, in what's that Western uh, China same thing, so it's it's a horrific practice. So we have just again a couple minutes left here. Where are we at? I mean, how many people are actually suffering? This is one of the items that I find. Thanks for listening to KATH nine ten AM Frisco Dallas Fort Worth in North Texas Catholic Radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 